0: None knoweth the Son but the Father. They didn't know him. He was wonderful. That's his name. And there are a lot today don't know that he's wonderful. That's his name. And there are Christians today. Oh, they've trusted him as Savior, but they don't know really how wonderful he is. That's his name. And the remnant were slain. we're told at the time when he comes to this earth, he's going to put down the rebellion and he's going to reign. His name is wonderful, and his name is Counselor. Now, he never sought counsel of man, and he never asked for advice. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Paul says in Romans 11:34, 34, God has no counselor. The Lord Jesus never called the disciples together and said, Now, fellas, what do you think I ought to do? You don't read that. He called them together and says, "...this is what I'm going to do." And he never even put it on his own mind, but I've come to do the Father's will. He is the one to whom we must go. He's made unto us wisdom. Now, my friend, most of us are not very smart. He is. He's made to us wisdom. We're to go to him. And his name is the mighty God, el Gabor. That's the Hebrew. He is the one to whom all power is given." He's the omnipotent God. That little baby lying on Mary's bosom was helpless there, but he helped the universe together, that little baby did. And may I say to you that he today is the one who is the mighty God. All power is given unto me, he said. Now he's the everlasting Father of the odd? He's the Father of eternity. It just simply means that He's the Creator of all things. As John said, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And Paul in Colossians 1, says, "...for by Him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible." And again, we have in Hebrews 1, 2, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the ages. And then he's called the Prince of Peace, Sar-shalom. There can be no peace on this earth until he's reigning. His government is not static, you know, of the increase and growth of his government. No two days are going to be alike. There'll be no monotony when Jesus is reigning, and he's going to occupy the throne of David. Now, this is a literal throne, which he'll occupy at his coming. And justice is dominant in his rule. God's zeal, not man's zany and crazy plans, our political gyrations will accomplish this. Now, the rest of the chapter deals with the fact that he's coming. They cover the then-local situation, "...and they were partially fulfilled, and in the then immediate future, but they look on to the time of the great tribulation for a full and final fulfillment. God will continue to punish this nation and all nations that have turned their back on him until he comes." Now, if you want any proof of that, if that doesn't appeal to you, modern men don't like to hear this, you know. They'd rather hear something else. I'd say this to you. Check your history book. See what happened to this nation now. They've had a sad, sordid story, and it's been tragedy for them. And it's been sad and sordid and tragedy for the other nations. And... I'm afraid you and I live in a nation today that's getting ripe for judgment. If we escape, we'll be the only nation in the history of the world that has escaped. I don't know about you. I don't think we will. We just don't happen to be God's special little pets. Now, friends, as we come to this 10th chapter of Isaiah, again, I'd like to remind you that this is a series of prophecies began with chapter seven, goes through chapter twelve, and they were prophecies that were given during the reign of Ahaz, and he was a wicked king. and on that black background, these prophecies are given, and in that dark moment, Isaiah' speaking into a local situation and he's looking down through the ages to the time when God is going to set up his kingdom here upon this earth. And we're going to see that as we continue on here. Now, this chapter 10 is a remarkable chapter. And I think I say that about over half of the chapters of the Bible. And I probably ought to say it about all of them. But it's certainly true of this one. And the theme here is God used the Assyrian way back yonder, over 500 years, 700 years before Christ came. And he used the Assyrian to judge Israel. But God will judge the Assyrian, and he did. And then you have here the great tribulation and the battle of Armageddon. Now, there's stated here in this chapter certain great principles and gigantic programs that are in God's dealings with man and nations. And these are all set before us here in this chapter. The chapter opens with a brief discussion on the courts of that day. The injustice of the courts of the nation are reflected in the culture of the people and the chastisement of God. And the Assyrian, we'll see in this chapter, he's a symbol and type of the future king of the north who shall come up against Emmanuel's land in the last days. Now, this prophecy reaches beyond the immediate future of Isaiah's day, and it extends down to the last days of the nation Israel. Isaiah identifies the period by the designation in that day. Now, the chapter concludes with the awesome picture of the approach of the enemy from the north to the battle of Armageddon. Now, you can see this is a remarkable chapter. So, in the first four verses, we have the judges of Israel are unjust and will be judged of God. Now, will you listen to this as we begin reading at verse 1? Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, that is, that hand down an unrighteous decision, and they should represent justice, and they're not giving justice, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed. Now, these verses right here at the beginning, you may think that you're reading Plato or one of the moralists of that period and since then, because they're talking about justice. Plato had a great deal to say about that. And the one notable exception, of course, is that back of human justice is the justice of God. The judge and the throne down here are to reveal the justice of God, and they are answerable. To him. Now, will you notice verse 2? "...they turn aside the needy from judgment, and they take away the right from the poor of my people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless." Now, this is quite remarkable, and it's very much up to date. And I think we're seeing the working out of this in our contemporary culture today. Because the condition of the courts, human courts, as they attempt to hand down justice, why, they are to mirror the justice of God. And when they don't, lawlessness abounds, and people sink into degradation. This idea of freedom today is being stretched just a little. Very candidly, I think that every criminal that's arrested ought to be given a fair trial and all that sort of thing. But my friend, in order that my wife and my daughter and my family can walk the street in peace, he'll have to be punished if he's guilty. And if a judge that is soft-hearted and soft-headed lets him off, He is not giving justice to me and my family and to you and your family. We are hearing so much today about justice. Well, that's what I want. And I want the criminal punished so that I can live in safety in my home, so I can walk the street today in safety. Why? Today in our land, it's not safe for women to Walk the street at night, and it's not very safe for man to in many places. Now, what is the problem? Problem is in the court. They blame the police today, and they may be to blame to a certain extent. I don't think so, but I'd be willing to make a concession for sake of argument. But I say the trouble is in your courts. And isn't it interesting that that's where God put his finger down? And then the very interesting thing here is that he talks about the needy and the poor. They are the ones that need justice today. They are the ones that need to be protected. I was very much interested in hearing one of the leading political analysts in this country today say on television that every program that has been devised to help the poor has hurt the poor. And you know what is wrong there? The only one that can give justice to the poor is God. He's the only one that can. And when a judge down here does not feel like he's representing God, then I personally, I don't think he's a judge. And today, we have many godless men sitting on a judge's bench. I don't know about you, but I want to say that They're in no position to judge me at all until they recognize they're representing God. I think that's one of the wonderful things about the founders of our country. I hear today so many talk about that they believe like Jefferson did. Well, Jefferson was a free thinker, no question about that. But he had a wonderful respect for the Bible, though he's not what we would call Today, in our circles, a Christian. Yet, my friend, he had a respect for the Word of God and for the statements that are made in it. We've got so far away today that our courts and our government doesn't even recognize God. And it's almost a farce today to have a man put his hand on the Bible and take an oath. It becomes almost comical today because the judge doesn't believe it, the lawyers don't believe it, and the jury doesn't believe it. And the man that's taken the oath doesn't believe it. And my friend, when you don't, you just, well, give them the Sears and Roebuck law. And some of them have more respect for it and they do the Word of God. May I say to you, God is dealing with principles here. And until the judge represents God, he cannot represent the people. And we've gotten so far from that today that I sound like a square. But that's all right. Now, verse 3, "...and what will ye do in the day of visitation, and in the desolation, which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help, and where will ye leave your glory?" Now, God says that you are judging today, and you're to represent me, but the day is coming when I'm going to judge, and I'm going to judge you. And I feel like that every judge or to recognize that he is to stand before God and give an account of how he's handled this responsibility that's been given to him down here. And they have a bleeding heart, and they say they want to give the criminal justice and let him off because he's a poor fella. Well, my point is that I think they need to begin to crack down on the rich also. Now, verse 4. Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. God says that this will affect all strata of society, and it affects man and brings about its own deterioration and its own degradation. And today, we're at a new low as far as morals are concerned. Verse 5, and I think now verse 5 is the key to the entire passage. Now, we've come to one of the strangest statements in the Bible, and it's too much for a great many folk today. I'll get letters on this one. But don't send it to me, send it to Isaiah or take it up with the Lord, will you? Because I didn't say this. This is what Isaiah wrote, and God said it. Verse 5, O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in their hand is mine indignation. Now, we've said this is the key verse of this entire chapter. In fact, this entire passage. And it sheds light on the whole purpose of God, for he says here, that he's using Assyria as a rod to chasten his people Israel. My friend, that's an amazing thing. Just as you take up a switch to paddle a little fella, Or do you do that? And God says, I'm using the Assyrian like he's a little switch, like he's a board in my hand that I'm using to discipline and punish my people. Now, God says here that he's chastening And he's using Assyria. And now the amazing thing is this. The destruction which they wrought was what the hand of God wrought. And what they did, God did it. God was using them just as a switch. They didn't know it. But that's the way it was. May I say to you, that's too much for a great many people to swallow today. But I'm here to tell you, that's what God says. Now let me keep reading. I will send him against an hypocritical nation and against the people of my wrath. Will I give him a charge to take the spoil, to take the prey, and to tread them down like the mire of the streets? Now, God says that he is responsible for sending Sennacherib, the Assyrian, against his people and for taking the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. And in view of the fact that the Assyrian is a symbol of another kingdom in the north that will be used of God. I'm wondering today if that kingdom might not be Russia. I think it is. Now, there are many of the expositors that believe that this has reference to the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13, And this would be the ruler in the Roman Empire. Well, I much prefer to be specific and say that it is this kingdom that I think, very candidly, is Russia today. Now, have you noticed that ever since World War II, they have won every diplomatic argument or battle. They've won the Cold War. And they have us on the rope. I wonder if God may not be using them. Somebody says, you don't mean God would use godless communism. Well, he used the godless Assyrian to spank his people. And God may be using Russia to humiliate us today. And they have done that. When we fought in Vietnam, we were not fighting the North Vietnamese. We were fighting Russia. It was a very nice, polite war. And it was a very embarrassing thing. It was tragic. It was an awful thing. May I say to you, God may be responsible for that. He may be the one that was humiliating us, trying to bring us to our senses, but didn't seem to work, did it? Now, did the Assyrian in his day think that he was a rod being used? Verse 7, "...howbeit he meaneth not so, neither doth his heart think so." But it's in his heart to destroy and cut off nations, not a few. Why, if you'd ask the Assyrian, he'd laugh at you. And if you'd ask Mr. Lenin or Mr. Stalin, or Mr. Khrushchev or Mr. Brezhnev, and say to them, say, did you know you were a rod in the Lord's hand? I think they'd give you a great big ha-ha. Why, they'd say it's ridiculous. Why, we are communists. We're against God. But you see, you never get away from him. God will even make the pagan, heathen Assyrians. And he had no notion that he was prompted of God, and he would certainly never admit it at all.